Well, we have another guest on our second hour. We're happy to have her. Our guest, Joan King, is a writer, teacher, speaker, and workshop leader who honors those who have the courage to live from the deeper recesses of their truth, embracing life to its fullest, and having the courage and foresight. You're now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Well, Joan King's life path embodies a blending of the hard and noetic sciences. At the tender age of 17, she stepped into life at the Dominican convent in her hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana. <clears throat> Excuse me. Eleven years later, she left the religious training to become a chemist and then received a Ph.D. in neuroscience and psychology. Wow, what a broad range in her life. Her 20-year <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 tenure as a professor at Turfs University School of Medicine led her to dynamic crossroads of personal self-discovery. Her newfound inner knowing ignited the writing of her first book. It became the foundation in understanding how our bodies model the teachings of our beliefs. Jones blending of science and spirituality birthed her professional coaching business, Beyond Success LLC, in 1998. Today, Joan is helping others apply these same dynamics for women and men in relationships and business as a master certified coach and trainer of coaches. Joan, we're so happy to have you with us again. You've been with us before, and we thoroughly enjoyed having you with us. Thank you so much, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Well, what led? I mean, what led you to your new series of books? You've got, uh, let's see here, You're, you've got a series of five books, the Sell Your Wisdom series. So what led correct. you to write these? Well, when I left academia, because I knew that I was going to dry up and die inside if I stayed. I went on a sabbatical, and I did some writing. And um, as I began, I learned about the legend that the American... This legend has been cast in many different cultures, so the listeners may recognize it from another vantage point. But the first way I heard it was the American Indian knew the white man was coming. And so they were fearful that the white man would destroy their wisdom. And so they had this big powwow among the elders of how can we protect it so the white man won't destroy it. And they began the discussion, well, we'll put it in the mountains. Oh, no, they'll find it there. The ocean, no, they'll find it there. This went on and on. And then finally, the eldest of the elders stood up and he said, I know. We'll put it within and they will never find it there. Now, what that sparked inside of me was I had been studying cells since I got my Ph.D. in 72, and this was 97. And I began to say, what if in all those years I had really focused on the superficial aspects of cells, how they worked, how they communicated, but I never considered the possibility that maybe they were our inner teachers to show us how to thrive. Because the one thing I knew about cells, and I studied them with all kinds of different sophisticated techniques, 
in culture in the animal with electron microscopy and confocal microscopy and three-dimensional reconstructive imaging. I knew they throve. They just knew how to thrive. And so I said, well, if they know how to thrive, maybe they're meant to teach us how to thrive. And so that's what had me probe what would they tell us as individual cells and as cells working together in organs and tissues and systems, what would they tell us? And that was the birth of the Cellular Wisdom series. You gave me chills when you you were telling that story. It just sent chills all over my body. It really was potent for me because it it was... I guess you'd call it an epiphany or awakening that I had missed something major. So did you take a sabbatical, if I remember right, uh, reading on your website, you took a sabbatical and um, to the coast of Maine and then again right. to uh, the big island of Hawaii. That's right. And, and the Monhegan Island off the coast of Maine is so wonderful because it's a long thin island about two hours off the coast of Maine, so it's really surrounded by ocean. And on one side in the morning you can see sunrise, and the other side of the island in the evening you can see sunset. So it's just a magical place, and there are lots of artists and painters and writers, and it's got a marvelous energy. And then I've always loved the big island of Hawaii. And so on the Hilo side, just south of Pahoa, there's this wonderful artist center where artists can spend several months painting and writing. And there's a a school, culinary school there, and the writing class was held there. It's called Kalani Hanua, Harmony Between Heaven and Earth. Ooh. And so they were beautiful environments to explore. And I began to ask, who am I? If you take away all the titles and all the roles and all the things that told other people who I was, but if you took all of that away and stripped it away, who was I? And that's what that was the first poem I wrote, and I wrote a lot of poems there. And and that poem is in the Cellular Wisdom for Women book, the uh, inner workbook. And I just began to explore life. Well, how do I want to spend the rest of my life? What what I want to translate the messages of the cells, but I also I want to teach people that they have this greatness within them. And that what was so surprising to me to realize is that You know, most of my life I was very achievement-oriented. You earned an A. You earned this. You earned that. And when you realize, you know, we don't earn life. Life is given to us. It's a pure gift. And within our life force is the deep wisdom that's been since the beginning of existence. It's only one life force that keeps all of us alive. And that keeps everything in existence. And so it's also freeing because I don't have to earn it. But it's also true that everybody has it if they want to access it. So it's not like I have any more of it than you have or you have any more of it than anybody else. And so there's this beautiful um, 
equality that emerges out of understanding that what keeps the mountains in existence and the supernovas and the harmony in the heavens is what's keeping me alive and what's keeping everybody alive. And if I could learn how to communicate with that, I'd stop making myself small and I'd live the life, each of us would live the life that we were meant to live, which is to bring a contribution to the world so that we can all have, if the world were a giant puzzle and if we don't contribute our peace, that hole will stay a hole because nobody else can fill it. Nobody else has our experiences, our skills, our passions, our orientation to life. Nobody else can fill it. And, you know, when you realize that, you realize you're not accessing greatness so you can sit around and say, I'm great. You're accessing greatness so that you can live and make the contribution you're here to make. Wow, that's so well said. Do, do you believe that oh, when you tune into your cells that you bring in your right brain or your creative side? Well, I think I'm working at a much more fundamental level than the uh, division of left and right brain and even the division of the cell because the energy that keeps the cell alive is in an energy field. So if you looked at our bodies there'd be more energy than there would be matter and because there is so much space between everything. Well, that's the energy that we want to tap into. And so it's before it's entering the cells to organize their activity, before it's activating neurons in left brain or right brain, it's every single cell in our body. So it's holistically the energy that informs us as being who we are. And once we do that, yes, you're right, we can access everything. We can access left brain, right brain. We can access every organ. We can access everything because we're working in the fundamental energy fields from which they draw their energy. So if we're looking at making changes in our health, um, or whatever aspect or changes the way we do things. I liked your question, by the way. How do I want to spend the rest of my life? Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this, everyone should be able to get all excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a question that's just very powerful. It's yeah. going, oh. Wow, I have options. That's correct. And I think that's really important for us to understand is life is creative, dynamic, and expansive. We always have options. We may not see the options because we're looking through eyes that are used to looking for certain things and ignoring other things, but we always have options. Well, did our cells while they were being formed, know our purpose? Our cells always know our purpose, yes. Because when, think about it this way, there are millions of sperm that could fertilize the egg, yet only one sperm fertilizes that egg. So there is a unique combination there of DNA 
from the maternal side and the paternal side. And that combination is unique. And in that combination, and I speak about this in the Code of Authentic Living, Cellular Wisdom, in that combination is everything we will be because from that single cell we will develop more than three trillion cells. But the energy field that set those two together is the energy field that will direct all the activities of our cells and the activities of our organs and tissues. And within that is our truth. It's so simple, yet it's so heavy. <laughs> well, you know, they've all, scientists have always said the most elegant solutions are always the simplest. They're not um, uh, easy to implement, but, you know, when they're simple, they encompass so much. It's the unfolding of that simplicity of what does it mean in this situation? What does it mean in that situation? In fact, that's why I chose to write the series. The fundamental book, The Code of Authentic Living, Cellular Wisdom, is divided into two parts, and the first part is how we thrive as an individual modeling, how cells thrive as individual cells. And the second part is, in the body, we have different systems. For example, the nervous system operates in a unique way. Neurons have to get real up close to each other for the chemical transmission to go less than a millionth of an inch in order to communicate. Whereas our hormonal system uses a completely different mechanism. Our glands just dump hormones into the bloodstream. They're taken everywhere, but they're only taken up by cells and tissues and organs that have receptors to take them up. So here are two uh, absolutely opposite different ways of operating. And yet in the body, there is harmony. In a healthy body, there is harmony. Well, what can that teach us about relationships from intimate to corporate to planetary? And then what I decided to do, because that is a chewy, heavy book. It's not a book that you sit and read from cover to cover. It's got stories, but it's also got exercises. And so I decided, well, maybe I should take those principles and illustrate how they could apply in different parts of our lives. So I wrote Cellular Wisdom for Women and in a workbook to apply those principles, but to issues that I have seen stop women, including me, both personally and professionally. And so the first chapter is not good enough, question mark, because every woman I've ever met has had to meet that question sometime, someplace, somewhere. And it ends with passion and purpose, second to last chapter, and the last chapter is Yes, I Am. And then the next book that is just coming into publication right now, we have the advanced copies and we're getting um, endorsements, is A Life on Purpose, Wisdom at Work. So how does this wisdom inform us in making our contribution in the world through work? And the next one that I've just started to write is Cellular Wisdom for Relationships. And the last one in the series is Cellular Wisdom for Men by request, because men have come up to me and said, you can't leave us out of this. I'll have to do a lot of research for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the difference between women and men? I mean, what? Well, 
a lot of it, at least in our Western world, is the messages that we incorporate. Most of the time, the men don't incorporate the message, you're not good enough. They incorporate the message, bluff it till you can do it. <laughs> and so how do each of us, how, you know, the women's book was how to transcend the messages that maybe we had internalized, like not good enough. Or I can remember my mother telling me so many times, you're just too emotional. You shouldn't be so emotional. So, you know, but those are our blessings. Those are our gifts. And for the men, the men I've talked to that felt, you know, as soon as I'm married, I have to take on the burden of a family alone. I mean, that's the way I was brought up, that I had to do that. I don't want to do that. And so they have different messages that they've, some, not all have, I'm not assuming that every man has incorporated this, just like every woman has not internalized the messages that we have heard. But they are prevalent in our society, and they are prevalent um, in history at this time. And it's interesting to me that now that we connect across the world, I just got back from an international coach federation meeting, and I have on my wrist right now a gift from a woman in Istanbul. And I sat in a um, session with a woman from Tokyo who had actually been at a talk I gave in Tokyo at the opening of the coach international coach federation chapter there. As our world is getting smaller, I'm realizing how many of the things we've attributed to this culture or that culture may be more accurately attributed to our time in the world. Not that all cultures are the same, because they're not, but it's amazing to me, like the not good enough I have found in women across the world, regardless of their culture. And it will be interesting to see if some of the men prototypes that they have incorporated are also transcendent of culture and may be more reflective of the times we are living in. Do you um, find some women? No, I'm. I'm personally. I'm doing dream work. Yeah. And and in my dream work, it's coming up that my masculine side is taken over, mm-hmm. and not allowing the feminine side to come up. Mm-hmm. So is that happening more and more now to women, to almost for self protection? I don't think it's universal. I experienced with what you experienced when I was at Tufts Medical School in Boston. And I was very aggressively pursuing my career and became chair of anatomy and cell biology and became a center director of three campuses, research center in Boston, Medford, and Grafton. I was creating and expanding, and my masculine side was very dominant. Um, I think our lives are about the integration of all the energies for the wholeness of us to come through, both masculine and feminine I am noticing that some feminine prototypes are very resistant to the masculine and others have really incorporated it. In fact, I was amazed one time when I was working with a a senior-level nurse who had a Ph.D. and who was at the high levels of administration in nursing, and I said, well, it must be a wonderful profession with women taking care of women. And she said to me, Joan, have you heard the the um, uh, phrase, nurses eat their young? And I said, <laughs> no, I've never heard that. And she said, well, it happens that if women have had to battle to where they get 
sometimes they feel that they will that the younger ones have to battle to get there just as well. So I think that that it the the patterns of how we are reclaiming femininity varies in various pockets uh depending on environmental circumstances, etc. and is there an awareness of the desire for feminine energy to make its contribution to the world? Absolutely. But it's not uniform across all pockets of our culture. You worked with the Native Americans before? I have not worked with... I have always loved Native Americans. I have read... uh, when I was a child, of course, I used to read Pocahontas and the stories of young Indian girls, so, but no, I haven't worked with them. I would love to, but I haven't. Well, uh, well Taz and I, I forgot who we interviewed, but it's a Native American, and he was talking about um, what respect uh, they have for the women elders, the grandmothers. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're put on a high level, and their purpose at the towards the end of their life is to for people to look at, up for um information from them and then the men will won't do anything in the tribe that he came from without permission from the grandmothers oh, I'm not familiar with that it's beautiful to hear yes you know i was just thinking joan of such diverse background you have had and what has come forth, I mean, you, you know, you've done all these writings, but what is the biggest thing that just kind of sticks with you as you're dealing with all of this? I, I, I mean, what what is in your foremost mind when you when you look back and say, wow, this is really, this really triggered me, this really brought something to me that I never thought I would expect to receive. Well, one of the things I have to say is that I really think we're here in existence to discover the magnificence of our being. I think we have no idea how magnificent we are. And I have a passion. And I think it, it started, I look back over my life and say, Where did this passion for greatness start? And I can remember when I entered the convent, I can remember standing in New Orleans on St. Charles Avenue inside of this chapel at Loyola University, and the sun was coming through the stained glass windows, and I was was a senior in high school, and I was making a decision about the rest of my life. And I felt... I really want to taste the essence of life. I don't want to live at the superficial aspects of life. I want to taste the essence of life. And I interpreted that as becoming a Catholic sister. Later in my life, I was teach. I was still a sister, and I was t- I'd finished college um, with a major in chemistry and a minor in everything they could imagine that I might possibly teach. But I was teaching all of the chemistries at Dominican College except physical chemistry and I can remember how I understood how these young women could understand chemistry that they really could 
that this wasn't something extraordinary, that they had the capability. And then I can remember after I left the convent and after I got my own Ph.D., and I'm teaching medical students at Tufts Neuroscience, and neuroscience is one of the most difficult classes for them to learn because there's so many different pathways in the brain and there's so many structures and we tend to rename something when it moves from one place to another. And it is not trivial to learn it. And I can remember telling them how they really had the capacity, more capacity than they knew, and they could learn this. And then I had an experience teaching astropharmaceutical reps anatomy and physiology in two weeks. And many of them had avoided taking the heavier sciences, thinking they couldn't do it. And I can remember at the beginning telling them, every one of you can learn this. You have more potential than you can begin to understand. And I must say that when the class was over, the the comments that I got that thrilled my heart the most was, I never thought I could learn this stuff, and you made it so easy. I said, no, we didn't make it easy. You understood that you could do it, and we collaborated together to bring it forth. And so, you know, the message I have is that each of us has this greatness. We often diminish ourselves by saying who we can't be, who we can't become, and, st- and I don't mean this in an egotistical way, but, you know, if we don't claim our greatness, we really are missing the whole point of this life. So that, that yeah. I think, is my central theme. So many people think that if they claim their greatness that um, they're um, becoming the center of attention or... Uh, bragging. <laughs> but Can once we you claim un- our- once you understand that everybody has it, every single living thing, everything in existence has it, and none of us is better than any one of us. None of us. We're the same life force. So when you live from it, you're not saying I'm special. What you're saying is come on, you've got it too. Let's all live from it. And that's what we need to transform our world. Well, actually, when, when you're, I hear you talk and everything, I'm, I, I'm feeling that there, when you claim that aspect of you, it gives you a, an aliveness. Oh, Yeah life back to you and it gives you the energy to not only love yourself enough but love those around you to be able to share this gift you have and walk forward with it and I mean you become so alive you just cannot not do it exactly just, yeah yeah as you're talking um I relate to people I like to hang around with, and I love to hang around with people that um, are make you feel good about yourself as well as you're able to make them feel good about themselves. It's the uh, relationship. Yep. yep. And that's well, what you, you know, did as a teacher. 
And I always ask people, and I ask myself too, who am I becoming because of this? Whether it's a relationship or a project that I take on or whatever, who am I becoming because of this? And that's so important to me. And and the reason it's so important to me is that I truly believe that there is more of us ready to come forth from our being than we have ever experienced to date in our lives. There's always more. In fact, on the bottom of my home page of my website, there is a short five-minute movie made by Nick Askew. Nick is really talented. His his function is soul biographies. And he titled mine more He interviewed me for three hours, and out of it he pulled his five minutes. And I wondered when I first saw it why he titled it more. And as I listened to it, I began to realize that has been my message. We are more than we think we are. There is more of us to bring forth in our lives than we have ever brought forth, no matter how old or talented or wonderful we are. There's always more. So I encourage people if they if they would like to watch it. It's my website is www.cellular-wisdom.com, and at the bottom of the homepage is that video. There's another video on the in the top graphic in the purple uh, circle that's just meant to be inspirational. It's graphics and words and music composed by Marvin Hamlish, and in fact he plays the piano on that piece. He composed it for me for that graphic. Uh, so there, at the top and at the bottom are inspirational things, just to help you get in touch with your own energy because you, every one of it, every one of us has it all. Isn't that amazing? Yes, 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 yes. Do you believe that the ancient cultures knew this and we lost it along the way? I do. I do. I think. I don't know if if no is the correct word, if we mean by no that they could have written a textbook about it. But no in the sense of appreciate the fact that that potency is within us, I would definitely say the answer is yes. I think that that's the beautiful gift we feel that the, uh, the elders have. It's the wisdom and the knowing and um, and it's and it's always great to tap into that with people. Oh yeah. Um, I just want to let people know that on your website you have a weekly five-minute audio recording for people. Yes. And um, it's called a jolt of Joan. <laughs> we all need that, Joan. <laughs> well, the way it came about, you know, I really do listen when circumstances present things to me because I think that that's a way that we recognize pathways to people. And this friend of mine had been a client, um, a coaching client of mine, and we weren't in the co- in the coaching. It was over. And she said to another friend of mine, you know, I just need a jolt of Joan every week. And so the friend said to me, what are you going to do about that? And I thought, yeah, what am I going to do about that? And I said, oh, I know what I could do. I could create, and now it's down to two to three minutes because people found five minutes too long, believe it or not. So now it's two to three minutes, and um, if you email me your email address on the website, 
I'll make sure you get an announcement every week when it goes out. But you can always go to my website and uh, just click on Jolt of Joan. It's on the right-hand column down at the bottom. And I change it every week, although I must say this week I've been away all week, so it 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 hasn't been updated this week, but it will be on Sunday. Well, you, you've been a coach, and I can see by the way that you work that this is the secret of coach coaching. Yes. To believe in the person that you're coaching and have them believe in themselves. It's just it's just a round circle of energy. Yeah. Sometimes you know, sometimes my clients say, I can't believe that and I say, That's fine. Will you believe that I believe it? And they'll say, well, yeah, I can believe you believe it. I said, good, then I'll hold the space for you until you can walk into it and believe it yourself. Wow. So do you still coach or do you? Oh, yeah. um... I love coaching because it's uh, it's so intimate to have someone start to recognize that there is this greatness inside of them that they didn't have to earn that it's just uh, it just gives me delight and I train coaches to certification as well and I also do financial coaching and executive coaching and life coaching and career coaching because you know it's the same energy regardless of how we use it whether we're applying it to looking at numbers or our careers or our families or ourselves We've got to tap into that same energy of greatness to get our own answers. And I don't provide people answers. No coach provides the answer. What we do is we hold the space. We know you have the answer, and we're experts at uh, asking the questions that help you find it. Because you have it, but you don't know you have it. And so our goal is to help you discover your answers. So in some of your, for an example, your career coaching, mm-hmm. have any of your clients discovered that they were in the wrong career? Oh, I, I have this story I could tell. Do you have a minute for me to tell it? Yes, we sure do. Yeah. I had given a workshop in New York City, and I get this call uh, as I get back to Colorado from this woman who had taken the workshop, and she was in a panic. And here was her dilemma. Joan. I have been an adjunct professor at this art institute in New York City, and while I've been studying for my Ph.D. part-time, it's taken me six or seven years, I now finally have my Ph.D. in art history and architecture. I don't want to go into academia. I hate it now. What am I going to do with a Ph.D. in art history and architecture? And I said, well, you know, I don't help people find jobs. I work from the inside out. So what I would do if you want to work together with me is get you help you get very clear about what is the important part of the work that you want to do. And we would work together until you got very clear on that. So we did. And in that time, and she, and, and I'll give you an exercise I gave her in case the listeners want to use it. And that is every night before going to bed, essentially informing your subconscious and all the guides and teachers that you have with you that you're ready to discover your true work, that you're ready. And so in the morning when you get up, 
just write a few words, a phrase. If you want to write more, fine, but there's no necessity to. And do that every day for two weeks. Now, the secret is do not look at what you wrote the day before so that every day is a fresh emergence of something. And that at the end of the two weeks, look at it all together and see if you can come up with two or three sentences that essentially describes the energy or the feeling or any aspect any description of what it is that would make your soul sing to do. And so I can't remember her exact phrasing, but I knew it had the elements that she wanted to use her expertise in both art history and architecture. She wanted to travel. She wanted to work um, with people who respected her expertise. She wanted to be able to explain her expertise to the general public. So anyway, she wrote up this sentence, these two or three sentences, and I asked her to share it with everyone that she thought would be open to it, not to people who would say, well, of course we want that, what makes you think you can get it, not those kind of people. And she did, and within, I think it was about a month, she got a telephone call from a friend of a friend of a friend. It was a lawyer for an artist who had recently died in Cuba. And they were putting together a nonprofit organization to represent his paintings. It turned out all of his paintings were architectural. She became the executive director of that nonprofit in which she explained his paintings, both from the point of view of architecture and how the whole art fit into the art history, to gallery owners in New York, Milan, and Cuba. She traveled. She was very highly respected because few people had her level of expertise representing an artist. And she had a flexible schedule, which was important for her. And she said, Joan, I couldn't have dreamed up this job. And she's just been ecstatic doing it. So I think there that there are these pieces. You know, we it's like a puzzle. We get this little piece and this little piece and this little piece and because we can't fit them together right away, we tell people, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't figure it out. Well, I would say stop saying I can't figure it out and keep collecting the little pieces like you would get every morning when you wake up because sooner or later you're going to get enough pieces that a pattern will start to form and you will start to recognize it. So it was when I understood that regardless of whether I was in the convent teaching chemistry or I was at the medical school teaching neuroscience or I was teaching pharmaceutical reps, anatomy, and physiology, I always believed in the potential of people. And that's the basis of coaching, believing that people have this ability. And so I feel that everything I've ever done contributes to my ability as a coach to help people achieve more in their lives, not achieve to achieve, but achieve in order to be able to give back, to express, to contribute. So do you believe that once you have this peace, the peace that you you know what your purpose is and what brings joy to your life, you start to um, attract that to you so that, like the person you were talking about, this job fell in her lap after she knew what she wanted. Well, but wait a minute. And this is what we often ignore. You know, 
I don't know if you've been in workshops that do this, but it's always surprising to me when it happens. But you'll say to somebody, look around the room and notice everything brown. And people look all around, and, they, and then they turn back to the front of the room, and you say, well, what was blue? Now, they weren't looking for blue. So they usually <laughs> say, not much. And then you say, okay, turn around. And there's, and they probably asked it because there was twice as much blue in the room as there was brown. So... It's not just that you attract it. It has been there all along, but you couldn't see it. You know, when we have eyeglasses on of our beliefs, we can only see. You you take someone who thinks, I met a woman. This is a very practical example. I met a woman at the ICF meeting whose name is Joan, like my name. We struck up a conversation. She was in a wheelchair. She traveled alone, I can't remember where she was from, to Las Vegas. All day long in Las Vegas, she got along on her own. At the end of the evening, I I asked her if she wanted to join us for dinner, and, and she said, absolutely. And then she said, do you mind taking me to my room? And I did, and I just helped her set up. And I said, you don't have anybody with you? And she said, no, the world is a very generous place. There is always someone who offers to help me. Now, how many of us would have her courage to go someplace where there are going to be thousands of people and then through the casinos in Las Vegas, which you have to go through to get to the convention center, that you would meet just the right people to help you do just what you needed to do to get along with the infirmity that she had. And her point was, this is a generous people in the world are generous and so she sees it now did she attract it well yes but she also acted on it she saw it and i think that once we set our energy that something is possible we see all the opportunities to make it possible and the opportunities could have been right in front of our nose but we never saw it i mean look at all the sports records you know somebody uh, breaks, runs a, a mile faster than anybody else, then what happens? Five people can do it. Why? Because one person did it that thought it was possible. Well, I know some, if you look back in your life, um, you can see that these opportunities popped up to you before you actually accepted it. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's kind of like that you know what you just said was so exciting it's it's like waking up the cells to see something totally different yes yeah. you know there i know some of the people that might have have seen this video it's been on youtube and i know businesses have shown it and we showed it in a presentation uh this last week on financial coaching and what it is, it's a group of people with a basketball. And uh, there are people in white shirts or slacks and T-shirts and people in black slacks and black. And you tell them to pay attention to the number of times that the ball exchanges hands between people in the white shirts in a one-minute period. <laughs> so they focus on the ball. And then about in the middle of the videos, a few people start giggling, and you wonder why, and then the video's over. And then you ask, well, how many people, you know, saw the ball exchanged 20 times, 10 times, blah, blah, blah. And then some people were laughing. And you say, okay, now we're going to play the video again. 
And But this time, don't pay attention to the ball and the people in the white or the black shirts. Just look at the whole gestalt of it, the whole thing. About halfway through, everybody erupts laughing, except about two or three people. And then you say, what are you laughing at? And they said, oh, the first time through, I didn't see the gorilla walk in and stand in the middle of the circle where they were playing with the ball. They didn't see it at all. <laughs> and then I asked, how many people didn't see it this time? And in a room of 200 people, there were about three that didn't see it that time either. So, you know, we often use the words, we attract it. But, you know, one of the things the physicists tell us in string theory is that there are 11 to 13 possible worlds coexisting. And depending upon the one that we connect with, that's the one we make real. So, so I think mind-boggling. <laughs> it is mind-boggling, but it's, it, it tells me that all things are possible all the time, and it's what you attune to that determines what you see as possible and then what you can make real. And you're, when you're creating your reality, do you bring other people along with you? <laughs> it depends. Um you know, sometimes there are people resonating at a similar energy, and they're happy to come along with you. But then there are people who are in what we call an interference pattern of energy. That if you if you look at energy as a wave form, like a you know a wave that goes high and then low and then high and then low. Well, if you put two waves together where the highs match, you get a much, you amplify them. You get a much bigger high. But if you put them where the wave of one matches the low point of the other, they actually cancel each other out and you get a straight line. So if you're interacting with the people who have this opposite uh, wave energy form, you don't take them along, you might get canceled out by this if your energy is not strong enough. Yeah, I can see where that happens because... I've been on a high sometimes and, you know, going full force and maybe somebody in my family because that's a close, re, you know, relationship can bring you right down. Yep. The strongest energy will prevail. So this is why I often uh, uh, remind people that if they focus on their energy, they will be the stronger energy. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's the stronger energy that will prevail. Well, we want to let everybody know that we're talking to Joan King, and she has a series of sell your books, and uh, we'll give out your website at the end of the show so people will be sure to go on to your website because there's a lot of tools and little gems on that website. I have put a lot of stuff there so that people could uh, find many tools and videos and radio shows to help them keep their energy high. Now, you you mentioned that you love one-on-one coaching. Yeah. Uh, is that your favorite thing or uh, that, that you do in your entire life? I mean, is no, that your favorite my favorite thing? thing in my entire life, whether I'm writing, leading a workshop, giving a keynote, training coaches or coaching, is that's spark that happens when somebody recognizes oh my god this is who I really am 
and it doesn't matter to me which of those vehicles it comes through. It's that epiphany. I have been living small, and I have the capacity to live big. Yeah. Yeah. I watch, I'm listening to you, and I'm going, okay, you just briefly gave us a glimpse that you're, you have another book on its way. Yep. And so I'm 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 tickled by this by this thought because I'm thinking okay, how are you kicking up your heels and going in this other direction? And can you give us a little um glimpse of what's coming about? Sure. So in the book A Life on Purpose Wisdom at Work, what I really want to do is let people know that the story that they want to unfold has a place in the world. You know how people think, well, I don't fit here and I don't fit there. I don't know where I fit. Well, you don't have to fit anywhere except with the truth of who you are. So I encourage people to develop their own new story. I mean, I've had several new stories in my life, and every one of them is exciting. And what the power of dreaming is and how we underestimate our strengths. So I have in the book a strengths development plan because if we build on our strengths, that's how we're going to soar. We don't soar by overcoming our weaknesses because even if we overcome the weakness, we're not going to excel in it. We're going to excel in our strengths. And I talk about connecting with other people, creating a plan that is a dynamic and changeable plan, and how you begin to develop strategies that are aligned with the truth of who you are, and how you are the leader of your life. You are the CEO of your life. And so you have to lead unfolding that life on purpose. And so that's what the book is about. And so you're, you've already started working on your next book? Yes, and I've just started the interviews. I have been interviewing people in relationships where the relationships thrive and also they thrive in the relationships. And it's not specifically uh, heterosexual couples or homosexual couples. It's It could be parents and a parent and a child. It could be siblings. It could be friends but anybody in relationships that thrive. Because what I'm looking for is we have very few models of thriving relationships. I mean, if you watch TV or go to movies and plays, it's always the problems in relationships, the models that don't work. And even if you get, like we used to get in the 1950s and they live forever after, you knew doggone well there would be problems, but there are no templates or models of how do couples handle those problems and thrive? How do people in relationships get over the conflict? How how do you reestablish trust if you've lost it? How how do you do those things? And so uh, I'm just starting to write. In fact, I've just written the introduction and begun the first chapter on being the truth of who you are in the relationship. You know, many women, and I was married twice before my current husband. This marriage is working. We've been married 32 years. The first two didn't, and and it's because in the very first one, I shouldn't have gotten married. It was too close to the time I was in the convent. 
I knew I didn't love my husband and told him I didn't, but thought I'd learn to love him because that's what I thought happened. And I tried to make myself in what I thought he wanted, which is a mistake many, many women make. They try. You lose yourself. Yeah. You you distort yourself to try to be that which you think that other person wants. And guess what? You can't keep it up. It just doesn't work. And so I'm very interested in how people thrive while their relationships thrive so that they're staying true to themselves and the relationship is thriving as well. And this could actually work in business relationships? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I'll be giving a workshop on this topic at the Omega Institute next August. So are you coming to the West Coast soon? I just got back from L.A., which is not exactly oh. the West Coast. I, uh, I'm i flying into L.A. for one day to work with six coaches for seven hours, teaching them some core competencies in coaching, and then flying off to Portugal for a coaching retreat. And uh, the moment about... I've been traveling a lot. In fact, as you know, today I was messed up in my schedule because when you travel a lot, you tend to to, to get short-sighted about certain things slip between the cracks. And so I don't even know what I'm doing after that. I do know I'll be in New Orleans between Christmas and New Year signing my book of A Life on Purpose in Yvonne Lafleur's shop in um Uptown New Orleans, because she's in the book and her story is in the book, and we'll do a book signing there. So you're going back home. Yes. That should feel good for the holidays. It does. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yes. Well, you're a lady of, well, I would say many talents, but one talent um, that stands out, and that's to bring the people to know their purpose. Yes. Yeah, well, thriving, thriving with such essence. You know, it's like allowing those cells to be triggered with life and energy and and courage. Yes. It's so magnificent. (laughs) (laughs) And we we are all magnificent. We really are, and I'm just hopeful that the listeners who hear this recognize that they are magnificent too. Now, do you suggest before someone um, reads a life on purpose to read the other? No, they're independent. They're independent. The Code of Authentic Living, the fundamental book, contains all of the principles that I express. But then when I express them in the individual books, the the whether it be for women or for life on purpose or relationships of men, it's the same principles just unfolded to address specific issues in those domains. So they're all independent. So the code of authentic living sounds like it's uh, like the overview of everything. It is. It's got all the basic principles from that I then apply to specific situations, yes. Okay, let's give out your website so people can go on it and enjoy all the uh, good stuff on there. Okay, it's www.cellular, C-E-L-L-U-L-A-R, hyphen, wisdom, 
w i s d o m dot com. And uh, to our listeners, be sure to check out Joan's newest book, A Life on Purpose. And we don't we haven't been mentioning your last name much through the interview, so <laughs> our, <laughs> it's Joan C. King. Yes, so thank it is. you so this, much. The C is kind of important because there are lots of Joan Kings in the U.S. I found out. <laughs> thank you for sharing your your wonderful self oh, and um, energizing uh, us and and our listeners too. It's been really wonderful. Uh, thank you, and you do wonderful work. Continue doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, take Blessing care. to you. And we'll be talking to you on your next book. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.